So my message today is actually about withstanding manipulation. And to give you the end of it is basically we need to know the goodness of God and also build our life upon him as we were singing today. It kind of fits in the theme of what we're talking about today. So anyways, I've been wanting to talk about manipulation for quite some time. And uh, honestly, I just see it everywhere. I see it continually in our society. And I, when I preach to our youth, I continually warn them about that. I often use uh, the analogy and the science to tell them, hey, your brain's not <laughs> fully developed yet. You are very primed to be manipulated. And, uh, you know, I say the world's constantly trying to manipulate you, to steer you in a particular direction, to tell you what to do. And, uh, and besides that, I uh, just, you know, it's not just the kids, it's just people in general. You just see it continually. And, of course, uh, I'm sure, like me, you've had run-ins with very manipulative people, too. So it's not always at a cultural level or a societal level or a media level. Sometimes it can be personal, too. You've had run-ins with manipulative people. Or have seen, maybe in somebody else's life, the destruction that's happened because, you know, some, you, you, know you watch one of your friends get mixed up with someone they shouldn't have. And I've often wondered, um, especially on like a faith level, but even also in a, even on a personal one, why I, why I have often avoided manipulation, why I've I've been able to see through those scenarios and uh, not get sucked in very much. And something actually I've talked to my dad a lot because uh, this has been a topic we've had a many conversations with in his his office actually of um, thinking of how you just, we just see this continually and and me even wondering like, gee, I've why I've missed out on being sucked into a lot, and why is that? And I thought, like, it's weird because, like, when I went to university, I went to a secular university uh, to start with, and uh, literally, I've often, often used the expression, I had my head right in the mouth of the lion. I was literally in classes of hundreds of people where the professor would get up and say, God does not exist. Um, I was actually in a course called Introduction to the Bible, and literally on the first day, one of the first things out of the professor's mouth, it said, let's just deal with the elephant in the room. God does not exist. And we'd be looking at the Bible as, as if that is the case. So actually, my original biblical instruction was looking at it secularly. And what they would do often is try to take things, r- like rip it way out of context and misconstrue things terribly to make God look really bad. And it was like their mission to make Christianity look terrible at a supposed introduction to the Bible course. And what was very interesting is when I was in that course, um, God very providentially sat next to me, uh, two brand new Christians. And I helped to kind of mentor them through the course and say, okay, listen, buddy's out to lunch here. This is how he's taking us out of context and et cetera, et cetera. But anyways, as I've kind of thought through why, even pr- on a personal level, why is it hard seemingly for manipulative people to come after me or they don't succeed very often and... Uh, some of, some of what I guess I've kind of discovered and know about myself is I'm not very emotionally led, not quite, quite the heart on my sleeve kind of person, but more so I'm like a, a natural skeptic. I need to like figure things out logically. Um, my nickname in my family is Mr. Google because I, go, I literally Google everything. Uh, if I don't know something or I need to know the answer to something or if I find something skeptical, if we watch a movie that's based on a real story, I got to look up the real story and figure out how much they were lying to me. Uh, and another thing is I've often, uh, for quite some time, I've been fine standing out and being different. I thought of it this week, actually. I went to, uh, mo- yeah, I went to a movie on Monday, and I went into the, the theater, and I was sitting there all by myself. And normally that's a thing people don't do is go to a movie theater by yourself, but I've long just not cared. I'm like, it's 9 o'clock, I'm bored, and I want to go do something, so I'm going to go watch a movie. I don't care if I sit by myself. I don't care who people think. 
And uh, normally that's kind of a hilarious thing, I guess, that people make fun of if you're going to the movie by yourself. But not only was I the only person in, the, in my, my movie theater, but I was actually the only person in the entire building. And I was like, man, that's got to set some type of a record. Literally, the staff comes up to me and they said, uh, would you mind going home? <laughs> they were like, all of our staff is here because of you. <laughs> and I was like, whatever, I live four minutes away. It's no big deal. But it turned out that other people did come to a different movie, but I sat in the movie all by myself. And then the next day, I went to the same movie again because I was invited with a group of friends and went with like nine other people. Um, but anyways, kind of weird thing this week. But that's another kind of quality, I guess, that I would have. I, I really don't mind being different, standing out. I grew up kind of as the token Christian kid in school. I kind of got used to that. I got used to the persecution, used to standing out. Um, another thing that would have kept me is my good grounding. Um, I remember many times as a kid, I would pepper my dad with questions about God, even in the middle of the night. <laughs> um, and so, and just, you know, I've been here in uh, Sunday school we've had, in children's church, uh, BG club, youth, I've got a, you know, a good grounding over time, and I've continually been taught by my dad to really rely on the word of God, uh, that that's where I'm going to get my answers from, and so those are some of the principles I found in my own life that kind of have helped me withstand various manipulations, and so I want to get into some principles that are biblical about how we avoid and withstand manipulation, especially in regards to our faith, when the enemy is trying to manipulate our faith and try to shift us away from our faith, skew our faith. But then a lot of these principles can also help you on a personal level too. And so maybe when the stakes aren't as big, but someone, maybe the enemy is still using somebody to mess with you, uh, these principles will help as well. So I want to read from 2 Timothy today and actually about, I think, 15 verses from three different chapters. Ten of them actually uh, bleed in together here. So 2 Timothy. This is a letter from Apostle Paul to a young pastor named Timothy. And he's just basically dropping all sorts of nuggets of wisdom on him and helping him um, lead his church, basically, and how to live out his faith and, and do so as a leader. So we're going to read from chapters 2, 3, and 4. Um, so it's going to be the end of 2, beginning of 3, and then we're just going to jump to the beginning of 4. So starting at verse 22 of chapter 2 of 2 Timothy. A lot of 2s today. 2 Timothy 2, 22. Starting. All right, it says, run from anything that stimulates youthful lusts. Instead, pursue righteous living, faithfulness, love, and peace. Enjoy the companionship of those who call on the Lord with pure hearts. Again, I say, don't get involved in foolish, ignorant arguments that only start fights. A servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but must be kind to everyone. Be able to teach and be patient with difficult people. Gently instruct those who oppose the truth. Perhaps God will change those people's hearts, and they will learn the truth. Then they will come to their senses and escape from the devil's trap. For they have been held captive by him and do whatever he wants. Now, chapter 3. You should know this, Timothy, that in the last days there will be very difficult times. For people will love only themselves and their money. They will be boastful and proud, scoffing at God, disobedient to their parents and ungrateful. They will consider nothing sacred. They will be unloving and unforgiving. They will slander others and have no self-control. They will be cruel and hate what is good. They will betray their friends, be reckless, be puffed up with pride and love pleasure rather than God. They will act religious, but they will reject the power that could make them godly. Stay away from people like that. Now we're going to jump to the first five verses of chapter 4. I solemnly urge you in the presence of God and Christ Jesus, who will someday judge the living and the dead when he comes to set up his kingdom. Preach the word of God. Be prepared whether the time is favorable or not. 
patiently correct, rebuke, and encourage your people with good teaching. For a time is coming when people will no longer listen to sound and wholesome teaching. They will follow their own desires and will look for teachers who will tell them whatever their itching ears want to hear. They will reject the truth and chase after myths. But you should keep a clear mind in every situation. Don't be afraid of suffering for the Lord. Work at telling others the good news and fully carry out the ministry God has given you. Lord Jesus, we just thank you for your word and we thank you that you can um, you know, preach through it thousands of years later. And God, we just thank you for this wisdom that's going to come out of 2 Timothy today. Amen. Uh, first, I should, I should have put this in announcements, but for those wondering where my parents are, they're in Nova Scotia now. They made it in their full journey. Uh, they are watching online. I did see, so they did make it. I didn't. Ha People keep asking me about how much money they spent on gas. They didn't tell me that yet, but but whatever. And well worth the price, I think, for the adventure and fulfilling a lifelong dream. So, uh, anyways, good morning to. Oh, I think it's still morning for there. It might be afternoon now there. All right. Um, so you'll see as we're going through this, and actually some of my similar messages, and or if you just read through any of Paul's letter, you'll see he, he talks through that topic of false teaching a lot. Big, big problem throughout all of church history, even right at the beginning. And again, this message isn't entirely really about false teaching, but just how uh, we can withstand manipulation, withstand being skewed in any direction and really any facet of life. We're going to work our way through this text and take out some gold nuggets here. So the first principle we have to go through, the number one thing to withstand uh, manipulation is we need to guard our heart. That's the number one way we're always manipulated. And scripture is very clear on this. Our emotions, our desires. Proverbs 4.23, very famous, says, Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. And then Jeremiah 17.9, another famous verse. The human heart is the most deceitful of all things and desperately wicked. Who really knows how bad it is? So if the enemy usually is trying to manipulate you, first and foremost, he's going to try to tug at your heartstrings. He's going to try to pull you in a direction, uh, usually based off of emotions. Now, obviously, we have emotions for a reason. We're not meant to be like robots. So the answer to this problem is not to just shun all emotions. That would be terrible. Um, but the thing is that our emotions need to be checked. There needs to be safeguards around them because we're very super susceptible to being manipulated with our heart. So we need checks and balances in place to make sure that we're not. We need to make sure, first and foremost, that our heart is not leading the way. It's not how we figure out all aspects of our life. And what you'll see actually in a lot of false versions of Christianity is there's a lot of emotional manipulation. And yeah, any type of manipulation, very good chance that it's primarily capitalizing on something that's in your heart. And so it's critical. This guarding your heart is very, very critical to withstand manipulation. So a very important part of withstanding manipulation and guarding your heart is actually painting a target of what your heart should be. Aiming for these good qualities that are described in the, bottle and, uh, in the Bible and using that as a measuring stick. Or a plumb line would be another scripture uh, reference to some of this stuff. So as it said in the first verse we read, uh, chapter 2, verse 22, it says, To pursue righteous living, faithfulness, love, and peace. You, and so we're supposed to use those as benchmarks for our life. And what that would look like is you can take some time to go through some heart diagnostics with God and say, you know, am I living a righteous life? Am I, am I measuring up the scripture and what is described as righteous there? Am I honoring the Lord in all that I do? Am I following his commands? Or am I faithful? Am I consistent in my walk with God? Is my life dedicated to his mission? 
Am I a person of love? Am I exemplifying God's love to those around me? Do I understand God's love for me? Am I living off the power of his love within me? Do I have peace in my life? Do I have a contentment because I'm living according to my calling? Or how am I at casting my cares on God because he cares for me? Or how, how am I at you know, trusting God for his promises and his timing? And then the other thing you do is, as you're, is you're walking through the good qualities described in, in, in Scripture as well, you need to also walk through the bad qualities as well. Use that as a measuring stick. How am I looking on that? Am I doing these things? And probably the biggest theme that will come up lots in the Bible, and, and it's a big, big deal when it comes to manipulation and the enemy coming after you, is pride. That's one of the biggest, baddest sins that are out there. Think that's what got Satan kicked out of heaven. That's what got Adam and Eve um, kicked out of the Garden of Eden is this pride that they have, thinking that they know better. Very, very dangerous issue of the heart. So being continually checking our pride and, and kind of growing our humility, that is something that's going to really help you in regards to guarding your heart. Check your pride, get rid of it. And again, ask yourself some diagnostic questions. Am I living my life to serve or to be served? To bless or to be blessed? Do I think I know it all? Does, that, does a know-it-all attitude come, off, come up a lot in my life? Do I have a learner's heart? Do I see that there's a lot that I need to learn yet? Do I have that as a posture of my heart? Or here's a good one. How do I take correction? How do I take advice? How well am I taking that? Proverbs 15, 15 12 says, Conceited people, I mean prideful people, do not like to be corrected. They never ask for advice from those who are wiser. That's a big problem. Um, to share a story I heard recently, this is secondhand, I guess, from another guy. He was in an encounter, and it was a good thing I wasn't, because I might have said something. But scripture of Proverbs 15, 12. Proverbs 15, 12. That's okay. Uh, I, was, I was hearing this from a friend of mine, that he was having a conversation with somebody, that uh, this guy had a big problem with an, basically an internationally renowned speaker <laughs> that has a very successful ministry with, that signs and wonders follow. And this guy was saying the problems he has with this guy, the theological problem. And he, he, he had like the, this very strange issue with it, which was mind-blowing to me. He said, you know, he said one time that, you know, to be used of God, you've got to be willing to be different. And he's like, that was weird. That was weird. And I was just like mind-blown, like, what are you talking about, buddy? <laughs> You're going to criticize like a, you know, a very well-known speaker that signs and wonders and miracles are like following his life and you're somebody that doesn't even barely know the Bible, but you're telling me <laughs> that you know better than this guy. And it was just like mind-blowing to me, but that would be a good example of what this verse is talking about. Never ask for advice from those that are wiser. Don't like to be corrected. Kind of think they know it all. And it's like, ooh, that's bad. Uh, other heart issues that are described in this passage. Here's another huge one. Am I ungrateful? That's something I was kind of keying in on today earlier in this service. We're going to take some time to be thankful for for all the good things that God you know, does for us. That is critical in our walk with him. That is critical to guard our hearts. When we lose sight of the goodness of God, we are very, very prone to be manipulated by the enemy. We lose sight of his faithfulness. That is when the enemy can come in and begin to bring questions inside and make us steer in a different directions away from God and not to seek God as our ultimate answer. Psalm 107 verse 21 says, let, me, let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds for mankind. So again, another diagnostic question to ask your heart. 
in your times with God is, am I remembering all that you have done for me? All the prayers that you have answered, all the times you've come through in the clutch, all the times you've rescued me, all the needs that you've met. Here's another big one to check. Um, Take some time, some heart diagnostics to check on your ability to forgive. Because harboring unforgiveness is another thing that the enemy will come and manipulate and kind of jump off of. And uh, here's some other ones that we don't often consider. Am I slandering and gossiping? Kind of talked about that last week. Or another big one, how's my self-control? We could, yeah, we, again, we could probably go on all day because the Bible's full of this kind of stuff to try to uh, be your guide of how to walk with God. So heart diagnostics, very, very important. Taking some time to check your heart. And I find, honestly, when you do this with God, it can be a very humbling experience. Because you can reveal a lot of garbage in your heart that needs to be taken out. But also at the same time, it can be a very beautiful thing. Because a lot of repair can happen. A lot of shift can happen. And you can feel a burden, all sorts of burdens lifted off your shoulders. Realize that you are believing lies. And you can experience an amazing freedom. But when you keep that garbage in your heart and you're not dealing with it, mark my words, Mark the words of the Bible, the devil will capitalize off it. If you do not deal with your hurt, your pain, or a disillusionment, disobedience, your laziness, your pride, etc., there's going to be a very direct consequence in your life. And literally everything everything you do, as the Bible says, flows out of your heart. So that needs to be checked continually. We think when we have like an, you know, in our car, we need to check the oil after every 5,000 kilometers. Uh, don't wait that long to check your heart. It's far more pivotal than the oil in your, in your vehicle. It needs to be checked continually, even daily. It's going to bring us to point number two. So if your heart is askew, it's going to lead you into situations you shouldn't be in. Number two is to pay attention to your surroundings. The situations you're in, is gonna, they're going to play a very major role in, in subjecting yourself to either being manipulated or led in the right direction, led towards God or away from him. And again, verse 222 says to run from anything that stimulates your lust. When you're wanting after something you don't have. The next verse says, stay away from foolish arguments. So it is totally okay, actually, to remove yourself from situations you're not supposed to be in. Again, we think we're super nice sometimes as Christians, and so we don't want to offend anybody, and so we get caught sometimes in situations we should never be in. Get caught hanging out with friends we shouldn't be with. The Bible says if you're in a situation you shouldn't be in, run. Get out of there. That's actually a spiritual discipline of knowing where you should be and who you should be around. Having the discernment to know, hey, these people aren't good for me. The situation isn't good. I'm listening to something I shouldn't be listening to. Famous verse here again, 1 Corinthians 15, 33. Do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. If you're continually hanging out with heretics, you might soon become one. If you're in a group of people that are continually overcritical, you might find yourself becoming overcritical. If you're in a group of people that are continually influencing you to go in the wrong direction, good chance you're going to end up going the wrong direction. Really, if you have some bad friends, get new ones. If you're finding that there's a particular person in your life that is leading you astray, that is manipulating you and taking advantage of you and causing all sorts of hurt and pain, take a break, even if it hurts their feelings. Because you're not supposed to be a people pleaser, you're called to be a God pleaser. 
And you might find yourself even with totally fine people. And God would say, this isn't where you're supposed to be. I'm calling you here. I need you to be okay to go, even if it hurts feelings. I did that in Calgary before. I was in a group of people, and God kind of directed me elsewhere, and I kind of just dropped it and, and moved and left. Like kind of offended some people, but I said, you know, I'm really following where God says I'm supposed to be. That's what mattered and needs to, you know, triumph over all, all other feelings and opinions and pulls. The, the second half of 2 Timothy uh, 2.22 says, instead, pursue righteous living, faithfulness, love, and peace. Enjoy the companionship of those who call on the Lord with pure hearts. That's who you should be hanging around with people that actually follow the Lord with pure hearts. And along a similar vein, it references that, you know, in the last days, we're going to see this a disobedience toward parents. And so this would be something for the younger people in our congregation. This is the moments where teenagers get a little nudge or something. But So disobedience actually, again, is often a pride issue. Kids thinking that they know better when they definitely don't. <laughs> and they get caught listening to their friends and what's trendy and what's cool. And then they think that that's right, and it will lead you in a path of destruction. So again, ask yourself, who am I listening to? Am I listening to those that call on the Lord with pure hearts? Am I pursuing righteous living and faithfulness and love and peace? Again, it says, um, stay away from foolish arguments. That's also a really big problem today, a lot of foolishness out there. And as this passage describes, you know, this is going to be a really big problem in the last days, which I think we're living in. You know, with people loving pleasure more than God, that sets up a lot of foolishness. It says people are going to act religious, they're going to look like Christians, but they're not actually going to be godly. And Paul says, stay away from people like that. Don't play their games. Don't give them the time of day. See, with pride also being absolutely rampant today, lots of studies would show the, the levels of narcissism would be like exploding and have been for a, a few decades now. Again, that just sets the stage for all sorts of foolishness, all sorts of self-centeredness. And you know, we live in this culture, strangely, where everybody seems to think they're right all the time. And we got all these supposed experts that have no expertise. It's fairly strange. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 3 to 4 says, A time is coming where people will no longer listen to, the sa to sound and wholesome teaching. They will follow their own desires and will look for teachers who will tell them whatever their itching ears want to hear. They will reject the truth and chase after myths. If you've heard me preach the last few months, something God has been really speaking to me about is this problem of what's called progressive Christianity, a supposed new evolved version of Christianity, which is a, basically a bunch of heresy and poor Bible teaching. But what continues to boggle my mind is how many people just get duped into it and are pulled into this fake version of Christianity. And people just don't seem to bother to check their sources, which is kind of like Research 101, probably the first thing you should do when listening uh, to something is check the source. Where's this coming from? Where's the information coming from? Can I trust it? And as I've been diving into this debate and, you know, between this n supposed new Christianity versus actual historical real Christianity, what's brought me a lot of great comfort as I've studied and studied and studied is that I found that I'm on the side of not only the Bible, but I'm on the side of also the greatest minds in Christian history the foremost theologians and apologetic leaders. And no joke, the guy that's considered the tip of the spear of progressive Christianity, the guy leading the charge, he actually is a guy that flunked out of his second year of Bible school. He failed out of Bible school. Then after that, he tried to lead a computer animation company and led that into bankruptcy. I'm telling you, this is pure genius right there. 
This is the guy that a bunch of people are following down this crazy movement away from the Bible being the word of God and that, you know, that there really is a heaven and a hell, uh, that there's only one way to heaven and such like that. The guy who flunked out of Bible college, come on. And you think to yourself, well, that's not really logical. You know, this seems to go against a lot of what's in Scripture. That's, uh, it doesn't seem right. But again, Paul is warning there will be a time where people will not listen to sound teaching. They're just going to follow their own desires, which brings us again back to point number one, the problem is the heart. People not checking their heart, their heart is leading the way. Uh, that's something I find extremely frustrating because I feel like I'm at a loss. How do you debate something that people don't care to listen to? You could, you could and I can, give a very um, you know, logical, Bible-based debate defending real Christianity, but yet people can still just not care at all. Just shrug their shoulders at it. Because to them, it's all about their feelings. And that's very hard to deal with. People just following their own des heart's desires over everything else. Whether that's the Bible, whether that's, you know, wise, older leaders in them, whether it's even history, science, statistics, you name it, it's all about their feelings. And what, you know, kind of makes this situation even worse is people will lock themselves into what's referred to as an echo chamber, basically, where they only hear what they want to hear. They're going to look for teachers to tell them what their itching ears wants to hear, as Paul says. Very easy to find that nowadays. With the internet, you, you can find someone to be as crazy as you are or as heretical as you are. Very easy. Pretty easy to find someone that's going to tell you everything you want to hear. Which, by the way, sounds nothing like what Christianity is about because Jesus constantly challenges us. Continually makes us uncomfortable and constantly says that we need to change. We're in constant movement with him. And our life often isn't this, uh, you know, this little fairy tale. Sometimes it's very hard because we have to go against persecution and deal with suffering. But again... That's biblical, and some people just don't care about that anymore. So again, this is why it's very important to pay attention to your surroundings. Am I, are you only listening to what your itching ears want to hear? What has challenged you and shocked you and moved you closer to Jesus and really had to, and, and forced you to change aspects of your heart and repent? Who are we surrounding ourselves with? Which, which, you know, which friends, which speakers, what, what podcasts, all that kind of stuff. So that brings us to point number three, to withstand manipulation. We need to know the truth and stand up for it. So this is a particular lesson that's very hard for us modern-day Christians because we're really, really nice. And we live in this world that believes in pluralism. It believes that there's many different ways to be right at the same time. That truth is relative. Moral relativity would be the fancy phrase there. And sometimes this, um, this lie has kind of bled into the church as well. And you know, it's this trap that truth is relative. People can say, you know what, you're just living your truth, so I'm going to live my truth. It's all fine. There's, or, you know, again, what the, one of the big lies in progressive Christianity is that there's more than one way to heaven. There's many different ways. And, um, again, logically, what should be very apparent to this argument is that there's things that blatantly contradict each other, like Jesus saying, I am the way, the truth, the life, and there is no other way to the Father except through me. But guess what? He cannot coexist with any other religion out there because if he did, then he would have to be lying. And then it just you just can't mesh things like that. But anyways, people just don't care because, hey, truth is relative. And if you live in, a, in that kind of a world, again, you're just setting yourself up to be easily manipulated. You know, it's kind of a sad, honestly, I think it's a very sad life to live um, watching people that live on this roller coaster of right and wrong constantly changing. 
or that their emotions are constantly pulling them in different directions, as if they have new callings every two weeks, whatever is trending in the news. And again, Scripture says we need to build our life upon the rock, the unchanging one. Matthew 7, 24 through 27, very famous verse again. Anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise, like a person who builds a house on solid rock. Though the rain comes in torrents and the floodwaters rise and the winds beat against the house, it won't collapse because it is built on bedrock. But anyone who hears my teaching and doesn't obey it is foolish, like a person who builds a house on sand. When the rains and floods come and the winds beat against that house, it will collapse with a mighty crash. See, when you're building your life upon nonsensical things, non-biblical things, when your life is full of being manipulated in all sorts of wrong directions, you're setting yourself up for a crash. Especially if you're rejecting truth and chasing after myths. Probably one of the biggest um, hurts the enemy will cause in your heart is when he teaches you lies and, and makes you believe them. It's not always, again, lies about, you know, uh, doctrine or something like that. It could just be a lie about yourself and what God thinks of you. That your sin isn't removed as far as the east is from the west, but it still follows you every day of your life. You need to reject these myths and go after the truth. We don't want our lives to fall apart, built on shifting sand. So Paul's charge in Timothy, in chapter 4, verse 2, is we need to preach the word of God. Because our lives just aren't about us. Sometimes we do need to preach to ourselves, but part of our job is to preach to others as well. So we need to stand on the word, and it, and it says also that we need to be ready to do it in any situation. You never know when God's going to call you to stand on the word and preach the truth especially in this crazy world now full of myths and relative truth. So to stand on the word and preach it, guess what? You're going to have to know it. Secondly, he says in the second half of uh, chapter 4, verse 2, you need to be ready to patiently rebuke and correct people with good teaching. So again, hard thing for us to do, to disagree with someone today, to tell them that they're wrong. The Bible says we're supposed to actually do that, but do so patiently, gently. We can still do that. You can rebuke someone, correct them, say, hey, I don't think that's right. This is what the Bible says. Let me show you. And again, this is what we're supposed to be standing on, good teaching, not our slapped-together opinions, not something we heard, uh, you know, down the line or we think we know. Good teaching. You kind of need to know what you're talking about here. So if people are kind of leading you astray, if they're, if they're you know, feeding poison into your faith, um, or they're trying to lead you off in a different direction you know you're not called in. You need to be able to stand up. And again, that's not going to be easy for the vast majority of us. Confrontation is often very hard. We don't like to hurt people's feelings. Again, that's our heart often leading the way and a bunch of emotion kind of getting in the mix to make us often do nothing. And in today's culture, actually, I would say tolerance is probably considered the most noble virtue. It's how you know you're a good person if you're tolerant which they kind of use um, basically, especially along the lines of religious things, that you know, we're tolerant of all these different religions and politically correct, all this kind of stuff. And the funny thing again with Jesus is he's not politically correct at all. He says he's the only way. He says, you know, there's no other God. <laughs> but again, like this tolerance, even though, it, you know, again, we're called to be very nice to people and patient and kind and loving, all that kind of stuff. But again, our foremost virtue we're supposed to have is to be righteous, right with God. So if we're ever in this situation where you have to pick between being righteous or being tolerant, pick being righteous. But again, 
The Bible will say, 2 Timothy 2.25, gently instruct those that oppose the truth. Just because someone's wrong doesn't give you the license to be a jerk about it. <laughs> and again, it's pretty hard to lead someone to Christ when you make them feel terrible and stupid. You want them to actually feel loved and appreciated as you gently explain why you would agree to disagree or why you're maybe saying no to them. But yeah, false teaching especially needs to be taken seriously. We can't just uh, pretend that's not a thing and shrug our shoulders at it because eternity is really at stake here. If we're not standing up for the truth, people can then be leaving lies and uh, live their life separated from God because we chose not to say anything. Or even ourselves could be pulled into that thing as well. So being right in the eyes of God, knowing the truth, that is the noblest and most important virtue. That is what we pursue. That's what we measure our life up against. So if you live a life where you can't actually stand up for yourself, you can't actually defend your faith, uh, you're going to be continually manipulated. If you, if, you, if you can't actually disagree with somebody, you're just going to constantly be pulled in their stream. And the other thing that's really dangerous and egregious with this is that if you never stand up for the truth, people don't think you have it. People are going to constantly think, well, obviously this guy doesn't really know what he's talking about because he never has any answers. And that was a conviction that God began to give me probably like a, a couple months ago. I'm very nice more often than not, and I don't often, I struggle with this too, standing up for the truth, disagreeing with someone, telling them they're wrong. But God just began to give me a conviction of saying, you know, you need to give an answer, because right now it's looking like there isn't one. Again, 2 Timothy is written to a young pastor, someone probably fairly new in their, uh, in their adult faith, I guess. Uh, the Bible does say Timothy was taught as a kid as well, but again, Paul is trying to build him up and, and to make him a better Christian and a better leader. And, you know, there's this big theme of, Timothy, you need to learn to stand up for the faith. You need to stand up against false teaching. And again, that is a very important part of our faith, sharing the gospel, proclaiming it, and standing up for it. There's an amazing verse that's actually right at the beginning of 2 Timothy that kind of sets the stage for everything else that's, that's taught in it. 2 Timothy 1.7, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. And the next verse says, never be ashamed to share the gospel. In conclusion this morning, uh, I just hope that, you know, going through some of Paul's advice to Timothy can help aid you in your walk with God and help paint a picture of how we withstand manipulation. Both whether it's theologically or it's in a personal setting with somebody, whether it's regards to our faith or various other aspects of our life. And just to kind of quickly review and hammer home some concepts here. So again, first things first, we need to constantly check our heart. We need to do some heart diagnostics. That needs to be a continual process. We need to continually spend time with God and let, him know our, and let him bring us back to correct alignment with him. Let him lead us in the, in the paths of righteousness. Psalm 51.10 says, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. That was a prayer of David's, a continual one. Create in me a clean heart. Clean up my heart. Get rid of this trash, this garbage that's within it. Renew a right spirit, a righteous spirit within me. Because when we've got things in our heart that's not right, Ephesians 4.27 says that that will give the devil a foothold. That's going to give him something to hold on to and manipulate. So we need to deal with it sooner rather than later. And secondly, again, we looked at if our heart isn't right, it's going to lead us into situations we're not supposed to be in. 
And so we need to be being aware of our surroundings. We need to pay attention to our surroundings. Who are we hanging out with? Who are we listening to? What info am I taking in? What am I consuming? Um, what environments am I in? Am I hanging out with people whose hearts are pure and in pursuit of God? I like how this uh, message version of the Bible puts Proverbs uh, 13, 20. It says, Becoming wise, become wise by walking with the wise. Hang out with fools and watch your life fall to pieces. So again, your surroundings, who you're surrounded with, who is feeding you, uh, either truth or lies is very, very important. And again, even if it might offend someone, you might need to change your friends. You might need to change aspects of your life. It might be temporary. It might be permanent. God will lead you in it. And finally, we need to know the truth. So we need to dive into the Bible and figure out who God is and who he says we are. That's just as important. And then after we know the truth, we need to be able to stand up for it. And the beautiful thing with it is when we know the truth, John uh, John 8, 32, Jesus says this, the truth will set you free. And the beautiful thing is when we walk around with the truth and we teach people the truth, it sets them free too. We hold the very thing that can radically change society and change all sorts of lives. We have the truth and we're called to bring freedom to this world. So we need to know the truth and we need to stand up for it and preach it in order to do that, to fulfill the mission that God has given us, to make disciples of all nations. It's an amazing privilege, actually, to, s to see others being set free from the various uh, traps of the enemy, the various techniques and things like that that he does to hold us back. Because God has created each and every one of us for greatness, to do something amazing in this world, to be his, his royal son, his royal daughter. And that's, that's the amazing destiny we want everyone to walk in. But there's someone out there that does not want us to do that and will do everything in his power to stop us but luckily we're on the team with the power <laughs> God has not given us a spirit of fear and we're going to lean into the fact that he can give us a sound mind too so we can discern how we're going to withstand the traps and the tactics of the enemy whether he uses the heretical preacher or your best friend <laughs> whether he uses the media or he uses uh, some book you're reading whatever May God guard us in every single way to, to keep us pure and to keep us righteous. So I'm just going to end in prayer today. And if you want prayer for any reason at all, again, we believe in the power of prayer here. Uh, we've seen God intervene in many, many different situations. If you just need encouragement today, someone to speak in your life, I'd love to pray with you after the service. But we'll just end in prayer to help seal this message in our hearts. Lord God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it stands the test of time. God, we thank you that you've given us amazing truth, this sword to pierce through all sorts of aspects of our life, to differentiate between what is of God and what is not of God. You've given us an amazing guide. God, we thank you that you didn't want us to walk this journey alone, and so you've built churches, and you've built these beautiful communities for us to be a part of. And so, God, we can walk through this journey in life with an amazing support system, a family. We can be loved in a beautiful, beautiful way and, and um, have all sorts of people that are fighting for our destiny alongside of us, that are encouraging along, us along the way and helping us grow in our giftings and our talents. Lord, we just thank you that we have a church full of people that are willing to speak truth into each other's life, to lift us up and, and to encourage each other to, uh, toward good deeds and towards fulfilling this amazing mission and calling and purpose. 
And God, I pray that you'd give people a thirst for the truth as well, God. They would dive into scripture like never before. God, I pray that you would lead them in these paths of righteousness. God, that you would bring the correct resources into their life so that they'd get to know the truth. God, I also pray for a boldness as well. A boldness to agree to disagree with the world. And God, to do so gently and to do so with love and to do so, you know, retaining, you know, dignity toward fellow, you know, way, you know, fellow children of God, even if they're wayward. God, we want to be a church that brings freedom. We want to bring, bring a, we want to be a church that brings truth to this region, God. And so, God, I just pray that you're just going to instill us with this thirst for truth, this thirst for knowledge, uh, this thirst to lean on you, and God, also this, yeah, this amazing, incredible boldness to stand on the rock. And God, I pray that that would be um, incredibly attractive to the world, to see people that can stand with a firm foundation. And God, I pray that people's eyes would be open, that their lives that are being lived on shifting sands, the shifting sands of culture, that they're living this roller coaster where they're being jerked sideways and upside down and all over the place, and God, they'd realize that, you know what, this is not what life was supposed to be. And God, that they would thirst for a stability. They would thirst for a solid identity. They would look to the unchanging one. And God, I pray that you would use your people in that journey as well. And God, we pray for those even with the hardest of hearts, the ones that we don't even know how to reach. God, I pray that there'd be something that would penetrate their heart, God, that would make them think, I might need some... wayward in this church that have um, subjected themselves even to false teaching or those that have just given up on, on God continually. God, we know one of the main issues that happened to people is they got, they got hurt in their heart. And so, God, we, we petition the healer. And, God, we just pray that you would bring a supernatural healing to these hurt hearts. God, we pray for those that are disillusioned with the church that have been hurt by the church even or disappointed by it, God, that you would bring healing to their hearts. God, we pray that you would use this church to bring he healing to all sorts of hearts that have been hurt by the church. God, I pray that would be an area of specialty even here, to bring healing and wholeness and to give a true representation of what a real God-honoring church looks like. God, I pray you're going to be with your people uh, as they go, and I pray you're just going to take some of these nuggets of Scripture and store them deep down within their heart. And there's going to be moments, God, that Scripture is just going to flow out of them like never before, or it's going to come to remembrance in their brain at the right moment and the right time. Lord, I pray you're just going to keep us safe and as we go and that you just help us enjoy the rest of our day and that you continue to minister to hearts as the day goes on. In your name we pray, amen.